0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President, Tony Perkins.
1: Well, good Thursday evening. I hope you've had a fantastic day. Welcome to Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, the senior advisor to the president here at the Family Research Council. Extremely honored to be filling in this evening for Tony and extremely glad to have you on board with us tonight. We have a tremendous lineup for you. Let's uh, look at some of the highlights. First of all, the Biden administration thinks your children belong to the government. Well, that's certainly the message that they have repeated time and again. They've even tweeted it from the official White House account. Nicole Neely from Parents Defending Education will join me to discuss the flaws that are behind this type of thinking. And speaking of misguided thinking... Tomorrow night, Major League Baseball's Los Angeles Dodgers will be hosting a drag queen group that literally mocks Catholic nuns with all sorts of lewd and vulgar performances. FRC's Chris Gasick will join me to discuss that a little bit later on in the program. And then yesterday, some good news coming out of the Southern Baptist Convention, which was taking place in New Orleans. They, of course, are the largest Protestant denomination in the country. Well, in their meeting yesterday, they passed a major resolution against so-called gender transitions. One of the resolution's authors, Professor Andrew Walker, will join me to talk about this resolution and why it is so critically important that we protect vulnerable children from these permanent and life-altering procedures. And then this month, June, when the pride flag waves prominently at the White House and other public facilities, there's one town in Michigan that passed a law saying, it's not gonna happen here. I'll talk to Liberty Counsel's Roger Gannum about that. So we've got a tremendous program lined up for you today. And just a reminder, as always, The website is TonyPerkins.com, where you can catch not only this program, but many, many other programs in our archives there at TonyPerkins.com. All right, let's go on and jump into this evening's program. These are our kids. These are our kids. That is socialist-type statements, but they came from the president this past week when criticizing efforts to protect children from gender mutilation.
2: It's wrong that extreme officials are pushing hateful bills targeting transgender children, terrifying families, and criminalizing
1: doctors. These are our kids. That is just unbelievable. And apparently, the White House uh, loves when the president makes these type of frightful statements because they repeated. Uh, through their Twitter account, unleashing a series of tweets, advancing that very message. Uh, And again, it's a message that we're watching over and over and over come from the Biden administration. Well, as well it should, that's drawn a great deal of rebuke from many, including Twitter owner Elon Musk, who responded, quote, you are the government, they are not your kids, end quote. Way to go, Elon Musk! Exclamation point. The Biden administration's embrace of LGBT ideology literally clouds everything that they do. And we are expected to trust them with our children. Yeah, right. Well, joining me now to discuss this is Nicole Neely. She's the president and founder of of Parents Defending Education. Nicole, welcome back to Washington Watch. It's great to have you. Thank you for having me. It was always good to have you. All right, let's just jump into this. I can't wait to hear your comments, your thoughts about this. These are our kids, says the White House Twitter account. What do you take of that?
3: I mean, this is just another example of the mask slipping, right, of progressive activists. Let's think back to when um, Hillary Clinton said it takes a village, right? There is this idea that children are just part of this collective. And we have seen anywhere from schools to doctor's offices that – Families that don't support their ideology, that are not on their train, um, you know, they're dangerous. The default setting in far too many public schools these days is that families are unsafe, whereas the administration, the math teacher, the principal, that's a safe and welcoming environment. And we're seeing schools do that and pull away parental rights under the guise of, you know, on very basic things like you're religious, you're a Republican, which is really frightening because we're still a nation of laws we believe in due process. So for the president to say this is horrifying and appalling, but also, you know, not surprising at the same time.
1: Yeah. And and like you said, it's it's really horrifying. I mean, as a parent, as a grandparent, to hear comments coming from this administration claiming that these kids belong to them, I mean, it sounds socialistic. This is not America. Uh, it's, uh, how do you respond to that part? I mean, to me, this whole thing is just absolutely horrifying to consider that the government really believes kids belong to them.
3: Right. I mean, let's think about the uh, Obama administration when they put out their Life of Julia video, right? It was, the government will take care of you from cradle to grave. From the moment you're born, up through school, universal health care. You don't need a marriage. You don't need a family. You know, we will just, we'll take care of you from cradle to grave. And again, I don't want government doing that. I don't want them making decisions for me because we don't share the same value system. But obviously, the values that I have at home, my husband and I, that doesn't comport with what the Biden people want; they believe that we are unfit because of our values, and you know we have seen in Michigan the Democratic Party said you know the purpose of a public school is to teach children what society needs them to know. What goes unsaid in that is that they know better than we do what society needs them to know. It's to fit them into their mold of a you know productive society, absolutely not over my dead body, as you said, they are my children, and they will be they they are not the governments, and they are certainly not Joe Biden's.
1: Absolutely. Well, Nicole, something you just said there, I want to hi- highlight again because I don't want anyone to miss that, but it was profound when you said that they believe this administration, the left in this country, believe that people like us are unfit parents because of our beliefs, because of our Judeo Christian beliefs, because of our Christian values. They believe we are unfit to be parents because of what we believe. Is it really that severe?
3: It is. And, you know, for them to imply that we as parents, that we wouldn't love our children because of their sexual orientation, because of their politics, is insulting, right? So many parents, very, very I can't think of a single family that would be unwelcoming. You know, families, obviously, you know, they they will struggle with They will try and figure out how to adapt to their, their, you know, their children growing up. But certainly I can't think of anybody who would throw their children out on the street. But that is now the default setting in so many of these activist minds. And I think some of it is driven by, you know, the polling by organizations like the Trevor Project, where they try and imply that, yes, of course, um, you know, America is this hateful place. Schools are, you know, it's the only safe place where a child can truly be themselves. Yet we have seen from video that have come out of schools, libs of TikTok, tips that we get through Parents Defending Education, it is teachers and administration figures, authority figures that are trying to guide children down a path, putting ideas into their heads about things that, you know, are age inappropriate and that they're usually not ready for. And so it's really scary that these children who seek approval, who want, you know, to be guided, are being led down the wrong path without the bulwark of a family to stand up, you know, and, and push back.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, you look at all that's happening with children these days, all the pressing issues, uh, there, there's just, we have fatherlessness. We've got indoctrination, uh, so many schools that are failing and just uh, teaching uh, mind-altering Uh, ideology and so forth. We've got lawlessness, all this sort of stuff. And then we have the Biden administration on top of all of this that seems to be so singularly focused on the LGBT ideology. Why is that? What is it? Why is it that they are pushing this, uh, in your opinion?
3: You know, it's frightening and it's really confusing. When I think back to when America pulled out of Afghanistan. Um, there was better coordination on Transgender Day of Visibility this year. Every cabinet agency had a statement out, had a flag up. Better coordination for that than there was when we withdrew from Afghanistan. And that's lamentable because it shows where this administration's priorities are. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we send our children to school, you know, to some of these institutions to read, to write. and instead of making up the learning loss that was, you know, forced upon our children from keeping schools closed for two years at the administration's behest, we have them spending hours a day on identity politics. Um, we have a mental health crisis in this, in this country and children, instead of, you know, being told it's subject level of mastery are being told that they're bad people or that, you know, they might be born in the wrong body what could be worse for a child's mental health than to be told to keep a secret from their mom and dad? I mean, that to me is you're encouraging minors to lead a double life. And for that to be done to our children with our tax dollars behind our back is truly insult to injury. And is certainly not the place of the federal government that has shown that they are not able to keep activist clothes on at the white house, much less, have you know, assist us in raising our children.
1: Absolutely. Well, let me, since you brought that up, let me ask you one more question on this. And I'd like to switch gears real quickly. Uh, All this, So much of this is going around the backs of mom and dads. How should mom and dads, working mom and dads, respond to this type of message that is coming from the White House?
3: I think, you know, this is very much a see something, say something moment. Um, And that's one of the really encouraging things that we have found over the past two years in running Parents Defending Education is so many parents that had been apolitical, that really weren't involved in politics, have said, if not me, then who? If not now, then when? And so I think parents are realizing that, pre-pandemic, we would drop our children at the schoolhouse gate, assume that our children were learning, not ask a lot of questions, you know, just assume that things were all right. And now we know to not, right? Now we're in a trust but verify situation. So we see a lot of families now um, engaging and asking questions and prodding a little bit more, filing public records requests to get access to curriculum if that won't be provided to them from their teachers. But then also having those conversations around the dinner table. Okay, well, you know, Mr. Timmy said this, Here's how mommy and daddy feel and why. I think it's really important for us to reestablish our place and not just, you know, really hand off the parenting and the values to schools because they have obviously shown us that they are incapable of that. And if anything, they're undermining what we're trying to teach at home.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. If I can, let me switch topics real real quickly because we've all been following. I'm sure you have been to California's bill, the AB 957 which could potentially literally lead to charges of child abuse against parents if, if they don't go along with the so-called gender affirmation. Uh, this has got to be a red line in the sand uh, for parents.
3: Yes. And frighteningly, California is certainly the farthest along, but this is a trial balloon that has been floated in a number of states, including Virginia. Um, again, where parents if you are not if you if you're not fully on board with the whole gender affirmation gender ideology project then you're not good enough and let's put a child into the foster care system the foster care system is a horrifying place and for a state to so cavalierly throw a child into that wood chipper is really is is astonishing um you know and this is certainly on the heels of California already having their trans sanctuary state where you know a family that is going through a divorce Um, If a family moves, you know, one parent might move to California, and then they, they get to be the parent who makes all the decisions because they're on the side of affirmation. This is yet another attempt by a government to wrest power out of the hands of parents with whom they disagree. And it's the kind of thing where, I mean, certainly we saw Republican state legislators in California say, if you care about your children, you will leave this state. Um, and for a lawmaker to say that is truly astonishing. And really, you know, as you said, it's a, red, it's a red line and it's something that should alarm everyone because this is not just going to stay in California.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, what, what starts in California usually spreads like a horrible rash across the country. Nicole Neely, thank you so much for your incredible stance. We appreciate it. Thank you for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. Thank you. All right, friends. Powerful stuff. We've got to stay vigilant and stay on top of these issues. Coming up, the nation's largest Protestant denomination passed an incredibly important resolution this week uh, regarding the transgender ideology and protecting children. We will be talking with one of the authors of that resolution right after this break. You don't want to miss it. So stay tuned. Right on the other side of the break. We'll be back. Welcome back to this Thursday edition of Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, the senior advisor to the president here at the Family Research Council. Well, yesterday, the Southern Baptist Convention, which, as you probably know, is the nation's largest Protestant denomination, well, they unanimously passed a resolution to both oppose the so-called gender transitions uh, to protect uh, vulnerable children from these harmful and permanent procedures, Uh, And and this resolution notes the biblical foundation that God created humans in his image as distinctly male and female, but it also extends Christian love and compassion to those experiencing identity or body-related distress. Well, joining me now to discuss this is one of the resolution's authors, Andrew Walker. He's an associate professor of Christian Ethics and Apologetics at Southern Baptist uh, Theological Seminary, as well as the author of God and the Transgender Debate. Professor Walker, welcome to Washington Watch. It's an honor to have you.
2: Jody, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it.
1: Well, listen, first off, let me just say majorly hats off to you. Thank you for your tremendous leadership and helping put this resolution together It's got to be extremely satisfying to see the unanimous manner in which this passed. But thank you so much for your leadership. Why is this such an important resolution uh, for the Southern Baptist Convention to publicly uh, affirm as they did?
2: That's a great question. I think we're living in an extremely important moment in time where we're watching uh, the, the gender ideology movement Crash in real time before our very eyes. And so, um, me and my co author, Denny Burke, he's a colleague of mine at Southern Seminary. Um, we actually authored the very first resolution that the SBC put forward on transgender issues back in 2014 when this issue was brand new. And we have been following this issue closely over the last nine or more years and decided that now was the time, um, as we have seen. Um, The news developed to see the number of victims who are coming out uh, talking about how the gender ideology industry has preyed upon them, um, that now was the time for us to be even more clear than we had previously uh, of speaking against this and speaking against it categorically, uh, not just for children, not just for vulnerable individuals, but uh, opposition across the board, uh, because we believe that you cannot thwart or undo what the, the the nature and the image that God has placed upon us?
1: Absolutely. Well, I I've got the resolution here. I've I've gone over it, and I and I just must say, you you uh, and Denny did a spectacular job putting it together. When you're putting together something like this, what what are some of the, like the uh, the the most important things that that you are thinking needs to be considered in a resolution uh, when you're trying to craft the language like this? What are you what what was the outcome that you were shooting for?
2: That's a great question. Uh, we we first and foremost are striving to be biblical. Um, so we're wanting to assess this from a biblical worldview uh, and understanding the scripture's sufficiency to, to speak to this issue. And then we have to go about the issue of fact-finding and fact-gathering and figuring out all of the complexities and the various constitutive elements that we need to speak to this. Um, and then... We also need to speak to not just the head, but to the heart as well, Um, because Denny Burke and I do um, speak uh, against this ideology at the level of kind of almost an academic argument in many ways. But we're trying to rely on theological arguments, and we're trying to rely on theological arguments that both, one, support uh, the truth of who we are as male and female, uh, to, uh, but also to expose the, the, the sham ideology behind those who are perpetrating this. But then third, and this is arguably perhaps the most important, is to show the pathway of the gospel and how the gospel applies in this situation, that individuals who have gone down this path, the gospel is for them. Um, those who are uh, involved in practices that are uh, sweeping individuals into this ideology, the gospel is for them as well. And so we want to be very clear that the Bible does speak to this issue um, as far as opposing it, but it also speaks a word of hope as well, that the gospel is not just, uh, it's not a message of condemnation. We do speak to the issue. It's also a message of hope and love. And I think that's one of the best things that we have to share uh, in in this moment and particularly in this month uh, of June, that's so-called Pride Month that we, that we hear Call all the time
1: well, absolutely, and that's what that's one thing I was so impressed in reading over this is the the truth that is clearly presented in great meaningful heartfelt compassion and love and uh it's it really is a truth and and it is that gospel message that is transformational for those that need it so much. Let me ask you this, and I know our time is rapidly getting past this here, but it seems like so many other denominations have drifted uh, and some seem to have even sprinted uh, to go to the left on this issue. Uh, How significant would you describe it that the Southern Baptist convention is going against that drift and swimming upstream culturally right now?
2: I think it's incredibly encouraging um, that we understand that we are to live. Uh, one of the phrases we often hear is "contra mundo, pro mundo," against the world, but for the world. And I think that that's the message that we're having to embody more and more. And I think it's 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 very important for us to go on record with this because, as you mentioned, we are the lot, largest Protestant denomination, and in many ways, we are interpreted as a bellwether for how other broadly evangelical institutions and denominations are handling this issue. And so I think it's a very meaningful statement that in a time where we're seeing Christian figures, Christian colleges, Christian institutions, uh, maybe not necessarily vocally surrender on the issue, uh, but they just remain silent on the issue, Uh, my co-author and I, Denny Burke, we wanted to speak clearly on this issue because we think that it's actually when times are the most challenging. Uh, that the church does its best work. And so we're hopeful that, like in times past, where the culture or where uh, a refining moment has hit upon the church, the church has been forced to be clear, uh, to articulate what it believes, uh, and to do so proudly. Time's almost uh, out. Where can people
1: go see this? Where can people find it real quickly?
2: Yeah, it should be available on the SBC's website very soon. I would maybe give it to the end of the week for uh, this to be placed on the website, but it's just sbc.com, I believe.
1: Professor Andrew Walker, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch. Thank Our you. friends, coming up, why is a professional baseball team honoring a drag queen group that mocks Catholic nuns? You don't want to miss it. We'll get to it right after this.
5: Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion.
6: Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to frc.org slash worldview. Again, go to frc.org slash worldview.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. An honor to be with you this evening. I'm your host, Jody Heiss. Proud to be sitting in for Tony this evening. And uh, listen, let's uh, jump into this next one. Some of you perhaps have been paying attention to uh, what's happening with the Los Angeles Dodgers. It's quite shocking what's going on. And uh, you're also aware of the fact that here at Washington Watch over the past few weeks, uh, we've uh, been highlighting uh, corporate brands like Target, Bud Light, whatever, Uh, for all the LGBT ideology that they've embraced. uh, And we've been trying to deal with it head-on and from a biblical perspective. Uh, And when it comes to professional sports, uh, you have some sports like the National Hockey League, for example. They seem to have learned their lesson as it relates to Pride Month, at least. There's been at least six different uh, NHL teams that have backed out of celebrating. But Major League Baseball is a little bit different story, specifically the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, they don't appear to have learned any lessons. They're moving forward with plans for tomorrow night to honor a group that literally mocks Catholic nuns. and They perform all sorts of profane uh, performances. And, of course, that has sparked a backlash, even from some of their own players. Well, here to discuss this with me is Chris Gasick. He's a senior fellow for Regulatory Affairs here at Family Research Council. Chris, thank you so much for joining me this evening on the program. Good to have you. Oh, you're welcome. It's good to be here. All right, so uh, let's first talk about this group called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. I mean, just the name kind of makes the hair stand up on your back. First of all, these are not sisters, uh, but the concept of perpetual indulgence. Who are these people?
7: Well, the the sisters are... Gay trans men. This organization has existed since 1979, and um, so I just want to make something clear: they mock in the most demeaning sexual manner you can imagine Christianity, the cross, everything about Jesus, but they specifically uh, target um, and make fun of aspects of Catholicism because of the they wear. You know, parody of nuns' habits and uh, and mock uh, nuns and 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 you know women who've consecrated their lives to uh, to religious causes and and uh, and disciplines. So that's sort of I mean, it's almost it's almost impossible to describe how vile this group is, and to think that. Uh, and I went to graduate school in the in the Bay Area. And um, so I was kind of aware of them, you know, for many years. Uh, to think that the Dodgers, this is in, you know, this, this great old franchise in Chavez Ravine, this fantastic old stadium, would bring these people there on Pride Night, which is tomorrow, June 16th, in, in, uh, at Dodger Stadium, um, and give them a place of honor. Apparently they're going to be given some kind of an award. Um, I think this is, the, is going to be the most calamitous branding catastrophe It'll make the the Bud Light, you know, and and Target, and all this. Uh, I can't even imagine how horrible the photographs are going to be. So,
1: yeah, yeah, a great point, Chris, because the, here here is a state and uh, a, an organization that we can bring down that that's doing this in the name of tolerance, and yet there is nothing tolerant about this. As you described, this is a group of individuals who are criticizing specifically purposefully intentionally Christianity and everything that we hold dear and specifically Catholicism right. but everything that is Christian and yet the Dodgers are saying oh come on in I agree with you I think this is going to be catastrophic for them i, I just reiterate I mean I know most of our
7: audience were, were Protestants I'm a Protestant I'm not a Catholic um, but this is an, what these people stand for is a broad like a broad stroke attack on everything Christian, so the the fact that the vehicle that they choose is their particular grievance against the Catholic Church and certain aspects of it do not make this mistake. They mock the cross, um, they they mock communion wafers. Like you know, I mean, every church has communion, right? The bread, as you might say, in some places. Everything, everything about everything they do is sexual and deviant. Um, so, I I can't imagine what the the Dodgers must be thinking they must just think that the Catholics are going to roll over now, uh, or, or, you know, Christians are going to roll over. And I think that that's not true. There's going to be a March tomorrow. Um, but one thing that, that was a very good piece of news this week, uh, the Catholic bishops conference here in DC issued a public letter. And I just want to make another point about this is how tone deaf and horrible this is. So, um, I'm told by my Catholic friends that, uh, tomorrow is an extremely important catholic holiday it's called the the solemnity of the sacred heart of jesus so it's the same day that this gay pride event is going on Um, for the dodgers to be doing this on that day is particularly horrific and then in the in the bishop's letter um they wrote something i just think is very poignant and i'll just read it now there's there's technical language so i've got it a quote here but the, the the catholic bishops asked the, the public to pray the litany of the Sacred Heart and make an act of reparation for the spiritual damage that this this event will inflict on the souls of Christians in the, in Los Angeles. Right? I mean, that's how got serious. About Thirty I mean, seconds, Chris. I'm sorry, I finished. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, that's just it's unbelievable. Well, fortunately, there's some pushback among players. Yes, there's pushback from the community. In spite of the Dodgers uh, honoring these people, in fact, the state legislature honored these people uh, last month, horrible. didn't they? Trevor yeah. Williams of the, of, of the team
7: here in D.C., the, the Nationals, is a devout Catholic, and he made a fantastic statement on his Twitter account. If you want to read it, go read it. He's a great man.
1: Chris Kasich, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch. We appreciate you staying on top of this issue. You're welcome. All right, friends, after the break, the Biden White House may be flying pride flag more prominently than others, but at least there's a town in Michigan that unanimously voted yesterday to ban LGBTQ flags from city properties. You don't want to miss this. We'll discuss it right after the break. Stay tuned.
6: Are you prepared to pray, vote and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders, For this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media, watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to PrayVoteStand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org.
0: Tech censorship is on the rise. Big tech companies are attempting to cancel conservatives and Christians, which is why here at Family Research Council, we've decided to be proactive so that big tech cannot silence us completely. FRC has a text subscription platform to be sure we can continue to keep you in the loop. That way you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone. Just sign up for our text alerts by texting STAND to 67742. Again, you simply text STAND to 67742, and FRC will send you special alerts on the issues that matter to you. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. You'll have access to content that will help you continue to stand for faith, family, and freedom. And you'll know about opportunities to connect with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know.
6: Finding a quality news source today in this media-saturated world can be incredibly difficult. It is important to stay informed on what is going on in the world, but you need a news source you can trust. That is why Family Research Council created The Washington Stand, an online news platform with a mission to provide readers with free factual news stories, and commentaries all from a biblical worldview. Based in Washington, D.C., our reporters provide reliable information on the most crucial issues of the day, ranging from breaking news on the hottest Supreme Court decisions to details on the latest public education stories, updates to domestic and international religious liberty cases, and more. We want you and your family to stay informed on what is happening in the world that affects faith, family, and freedom. Be encouraged. Be in the know. And stand firm in truth by visiting washingtonstand.com today. That's washingtonstand.com.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. We appreciate so much you being on board with us this evening. Uh, Before I jump into our final discussion for the evening and our next guest, I want to give you a piece of information that you definitely want to participate in. If at all possible, next Wednesday, June 21st, I want to invite you to join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins, Senator Lindsey Graham, and many other distinguished speakers. They will be at the Experience Church in Des Moines, Iowa, for a special town hall meeting for life. And for those of you in the Des Moines area, come on and join us But if you're not able to come in person, you can still attend. We encourage you to watch it live stream. You can check out how to do that. Just go to prayvotestand.org slash hall for more information, or you can simply go to tonyperkins.com and follow the links. But this is one of those things you don't want to miss, so check it out. All right, let's jump into this final one. You're going to be very much interested. The City Council of Hamtrak, uh, Michigan which is a city outside of the uh, Detroit area, Detroit suburb, uh, with, by the way, a substantial Muslim population. Well, that city council voted unanimously yesterday to allow only five flags to be on display uh, publicly on their flagpoles, the American flag, the Michigan flag, uh, and or flags representing Uh, the native county of many immigrant residents uh, within that community. But what is interesting is not included in their list of flags that are permitted is the pride flag. Of course, that has stroked a degree of outrage from many who are demanding that the rainbow uh, flag adorn every public facility from the White House all the way down Well, joining me now to discuss this is Roger Gannum. He's the vice president of legal affairs at Liberty Council. And last year, Liberty Council won a unanimous U.S. Supreme Court decision that the city of Boston illegally censured Christian viewpoints by denying flying the Christian flag in a public forum that was open to everyone. Well, Roger, thank you so much for joining us this evening on Washington Watch thanks for having me, Jody. Glad to be here Well, it's our honor to have you. We appreciate it uh, well let's let's start you uh, liberty council you you all won a major victory last year uh, in Boston, so let's start if we can. Kind of compare the situation that Liberty Council was involved in in Boston and the Christian flag uh, compared to that that's happening now with the City Council in Michigan. Sure. Uh, Boston,
8: uh, for a long time, for for years, had a program where literally anyone, any outside group who asked to be able to raise their flag on one of the City Hall flagpoles was allowed to do it. And Boston never said no until our client, uh, called Camp Constitution, ironically, uh, came along and asked to be able to raise a Christian flag to celebrate the contributions of uh, the Christian community to to Boston history and and Massachusetts history. And and Boston got in trouble because when you open a forum to everyone, you can't censor the Christian viewpoint. Uh, That's what Boston did. uh, And that's why we won our case nine to zero in the Supreme Court. Um, What the city council in uh, Hamtramck, Michigan has done uh, is realize that when you display a pride flag, when a government flies a pride flag, uh, the government is communicating a particular viewpoint about sexual conduct and, and really what it means to be a man or a woman uh, in a way that that uh, that is inconsistent with the religious beliefs of maybe even a majority of the population, if not a, a substantial number. Uh, and so what the city council on Hamtramck decided to do is just simply not take a position on these issues of sexuality, which is really a wise thing to do. Um, it's always been the case that the government can fly whatever flags it wants to. When a government gets in trouble is when it starts letting outside groups fly their flags and then starts picking the winners and losers about, you know, who can fly their flags and who
1: can't. Well, I think that's a great point. And uh, let me just kind of underscore it again. Uh, the I think it's very notable, uh, a, a, an important fact in all of this, that the city council did not ban – any specific flag, but rather what they did, they limited what kind of flags could be on display. Uh, They limited it to five flags. They didn't specifically ban anything. How significant is that approach, do you think? Well, it
8: represents a lot of wisdom. I think cities and towns are waking up to the fact that that flying pride flags uh, is communicating a particular viewpoint that doesn't represent the entirety of the community. Um, you know, before our case in the Supreme Court, I think a lot of cities and towns would fly pride flags, not necessarily because they wanted to or, or wanted to communicate what the flag stands for, but I think they were just afraid of what would happen to them or, or what would be said about them if they said no. Uh, our case has really opened their eyes and let them see that um, that they're picking winners and losers. Our client, uh, Camp Constitution, wouldn't have gone to the city of Boston and demanded to fly a Christian flag if Boston wasn't letting literally everyone else fly their flags. Uh, what we saw in the the footage from the Hamtramck City Council meeting is people who want the pride flag to be flown are are they pounding their, their fists on the on the lectern and demanding it um even though they would be surely offended if the city flew a Christian flag. So I think cities and towns are, are waking up to the fact that they can't be uh viewpoint censors and they can't be picking winners and losers in these fights. And it's just better and wiser for them to fly the American flag or their city flag and
1: not get involved in these cultural disputes. Yeah absolutely tremendous amount of wisdom in all of that especially these days. You just simply can't please everyone. And it is a statement that's being made when those flags are flown. Let me ask you this. Last weekend, I'm sure you're very much on top of this, as the White House uh, obviously drew a lot of heat when they displayed the so-called pride flag at the same height as two American flags that were flanking it. And as a result, uh, Senator Roger Marshall has proposed a One Flag for All Act which would make it illegal to fly or drape or display any flag other than uh, our nation's flag on federal buildings or properties. Uh, there there are a few uh, exceptions. But overall, with that bill, what are your thoughts?
8: Well, I think it's a travesty that the, the, the one building that really kind of represents uh, our American government uh, to much of the world, the White House, would would choose to not only fly a pride flag but but do it in a way that that government regulations clearly show uh, is improper it it relegated the united states flag to a secondary position uh under or next to the pride flag Uh, it's really inexcusable for a president of the United States to do something like that. As for the proposed legislation, uh, I think it makes sense for the United States government to have very clear parameters and clear rules about what flags can be flown in addition to the United States flag. But it should never be a flag instead of the United States flag. Uh, And again, flying a pride flag is really uh, sending a message to America's Christians and, and many adherents of other faiths that their viewpoint about human sexuality is not welcome or celebrated, uh, but a very particular LGBT viewpoint is celebrated uh, and that 's something that the United States government, the president of the United States, should not be doing
1: absolutely and I think you bring up a great point with the flag etiquette i mean the the, the it's it 's known that the u s flag is to fly higher than than any other flag period uh, and for them to place the pride flag on equal setting was just, um, I mean, it's offensive enough just having it, but to place it on equal par with the U.S. flag is um, patriotically offensive, even for those who may not uh, have an opinion one way or the other on the, the pride issue, but the just the, the flag etiquette of our country being uh, disrespected so is in itself tremendously uh, offensive Um, Let me ask you this. Let's go back to Hamtramck's situation there. I wanted your opinion on this, that the vast majority of the people in that uh, community are Muslims that passed this resolution. How significant do you think that is uh, in this whole case?
8: I think it's really interesting, and and it demonstrates um, what uh, America's promise has always been about. Uh, As I understand it, all of the city council members uh, in Hamtramck are Muslim, Um, and that's pretty remarkable that that an immigrant community um who who practices a religion that that's in the minority in the United States nonetheless were able to win the trust and support of the entire community uh, and elect an all muslim city council um, but you know notice that the city council did not uh decide to fly a muslim flag or say that that we are now you know taking this this city or this town for islam um they made a policy that says we're not going to pick winners and losers um and it really is a great exhibition of of what America's promise is that that people from from many races backgrounds religions uh, can all have access to to elected government uh and can be can, can be governed in a way that, uh, that doesn't pick winners and losers when it comes to viewpoints. Um, so I, th- I think it's remarkable. I think it is, uh, it's encouraging and it, and it gives me optimism that, uh, that, you know, there are places, uh, especially locally that, that still get it. And, uh, you know, they're just saying that, that all politics is local. And, uh, and here we see, um, how a, a local you know, municipality or town, uh, is really, is teaching the rest of us a lesson about how, how pluralism is supposed to work.
1: Well, that's a great point. Uh, you know, I, in in all honesty, I was looking at it personally, from uh, not only what you said, I, I went down that path mentally, but I also looked at it from the perspective of here, at least not not within their community, but nationally, um, Muslims don't make up a large percentage of this country. Uh, they they do in in that community, obviously. But I was looking at at this whole issue from the perspective of what would happen if the church stood up and made its voice known, be it this issue or uh, multiple other issues that our country is facing right now. When the people rise up and let their voices be heard, things happen. Uh, th- significant things happen. Uh, do you think there is a message? in all of this to the church as a whole?
8: I think there is. Um, you know, as as a Christian, you know, I believe the gospel is certainly a, a message of, of personal salvation in Jesus Christ. But the gospel is also uh, a message of redemption of all of creation uh, for the glory of God. Uh, and so I think as Christians we are called to to take the gospel into government, to take it into our our local uh, seats of power, um, not to to impose Christianity on the population, but to to bring you know God's ideas of of what works, of what is good for humanity, what will make us flourish, and ultimately what will will bring us joy and contentment. Uh, I think as Christians we're called to to bring those ideas. Uh, to, to all, uh, institutions, whether it's government, whether it's education, um, and be salt and light everywhere because, you know, ultimately, you know, all of creation is crying out for the return of Christ. And, and the gospel really is the message of, uh, that plan of redemption for, for all of creation. And, and that's where we as Christians ought to be, uh, sharing, uh, you know, the, the whole counsel of God and you know, really fulfilling the great commission. So I think this is a message to the church that, uh, that we are also called to uh, to seek uh, elected positions and to bring um, and to bring the great commission to bear uh, again, not imposing our will or our our beliefs on our fellow citizens, but proposing the uh, the way forward as, as God has instructed us.
1: Well, and by definition, really, that's what it means to be salt and light. I mean, it is impossible to be salt and light without being engaged. By definition, that's that's what it means to be salt and light. And I I think it's a travesty that for so long, by and large, not uh, with everyone, of course, but by and large, it seems as though the church has uh, surrendered politics to others. And as a result, we are largely in the mess we're in now because the church has been so absent from this area of uh, of our country, and God by the way, instituted government. This is not a man made thing. God instituted the family, He instituted the church, and he instituted government and Christians need to have a voice there, and in this country, even more so, our system doesn't work without involvement from the people. So what would you say um, if if Christians don't speak up, is it fair to say? Uh, that if they don't speak up, if they don't get involved, that someone else will.
8: Absolutely. Uh you know, I'm reminded of the uh instructions from uh the prophet Jeremiah to, to the Israel, to Israel when it was in exile. Um and, and they were told to uh in the place where they were, in the city in which they were in exile, to Go ahead and, and build houses and marry and give their sons and daughters in marriage and to seek the welfare of the city in which they lived because in its welfare, they would find their own welfare. I think that same pattern holds up today. Um, wherever we are as the church, we're to seek the welfare of the place where we live. And, and we know that God has given us instructions for, you know, how humans are to live and how we are to flourish. And we ought not be shy about. Sharing those things with all of our neighbors, not for our good but for everyone's good, because uh we will find that uh, that as a church that we will thrive if the cities in which we live are thriving and and we know the way uh to to make that happen so uh, I think it's it's extremely important uh, as he pointed out for uh for our ideas to be out there because uh in in the public sphere in the marketplace. Uh, the truth will uh, will always win, will always be able to to hold its own. Uh, and if we're not out there speaking, someone else will. Uh,
1: Roger, we've got about 15 seconds here real quickly. Uh, they're facing some pushback, the city council. What do you think is going to happen? Are they going to stand firm? Um, I expect they will. At least
8: that's the, that's the sense that I get. Um, I think that, that there ought not be winners and losers when, when it comes to the government deciding who gets to speak. Uh, and this council has so far charted the right course.
1: Thank you, Roger Gannam with Liberty Council. It's an honor to have you on the program this evening. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right, friends, that wraps up this edition of Washington Watch. We appreciate you being on board with us this evening. And it's our privilege to bring you news of importance from a Christian perspective. Hope you have a fantastic remainder of your evening. We'll see you tomorrow right here on Washington Watch.